Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Today, let's catch up on some developments of topics we've looked at in previous programs. Let's begin with a look at the so-called right to repair laws, or more accurately, the absence of them, especially at the federal level. We've pointed out in the past that owners of products ranging from refrigerators to tractors to, yes, even the ventilators so desperately needed in hospitals in these COVID times find them difficult to get repaired or to get parts for from anyone other than the original equipment manufacturer, or OEM. Almost 50 years ago, Congress passed the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act. That act was supposed to prevent manufacturers from tying owners of products that they had bought and paid for to the manufacturer alone when repairs or parts for the product were needed later in the product's life cycle. But the intent of that law is not being fulfilled. According to a Federal Trade Commission report issued in May 2021 entitled Nixing the Fix, an FTC report to Congress on repair restrictions, quote, the anti-tying provision, Section 102C of the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, prohibits a warrantor of a consumer product from conditioning its warranty on the consumers using any article or service which is identified by a brand name, unless the article or service is provided for free or the warrantor obtains a waiver from the commission." End quote. A little further on in this report, the Federal Trade Commission observes that, quote, even when a warranty does not explicitly require that repairs be performed by the original equipment manufacturer using OEM parts, many manufacturers restrict independent repair and repair by consumers through product designs that complicate or prevent repair, unavailability of parts and repair information, designs that make independent repairs less safe, policies or statements that steer consumers to manufacturer repair networks, application of patent rights and enforcement of trademarks, disparagement of non-OEM parts and independent repair, software locks and firmware updates, or end-user license agreements." End quote. This kind of behavior has drawn the ire of consumers, repair shops, and as we've mentioned in the past, even overburdened tech departments in hospitals trying to keep ventilators operating. Some states, such as Massachusetts, have tried to pass so-called right-to-repair laws, but without federal action, those efforts have not been very successful. While the FTC can point out that there are problems in this area, it's not able, under current law, to sue manufacturers on behalf of consumers. In other words, the FTC's complaints are pretty toothless at present. Perhaps this FTC report, which has been sent to Congress, may inspire Congress to give the FTC some teeth to deal with the problems that the report has identified. You may wish to share your views on the subject with your congressional representatives. A link to the FTC report will be on the webpage for today's program in the archives at www.weru.org. On another topic we discussed on a previous program, we noted that Apple was going to mandate that any apps available in the Apple Store 
would have to give consumers who loaded the apps onto their iPhones or iPads the opportunity to decide whether they wanted the app to be able to track them across apps and across websites owned by other companies. If the consumer said yes, which is what the app makers and advertisers want people to say, then the apps could use an ID that Apple puts on its products to follow that device anywhere it goes on the web and to build a profile of a person's interests and activities for advertising and perhaps other purposes. Not surprisingly, Facebook and many others whose business depends on such tracking were up in arms about this proposed change to Apple's operating system that made offering this option choice to consumers mandatory. They were afraid that people just wouldn't choose to be tracked. They were right. Initial reports since the new Apple iOS 14.5 operating system was made available in the spring of 2021 indicate that 96% of the time users say no to that across-the-web tracking capability. Those who claim that users don't mind being tracked are clearly going to have to modify their claims a bit in the face of this rather overwhelming evidence. And finally today, here's a headline from a recent article on TechDirt. Quote, Smart TV makers will soon make more money off your viewing habits than the TV itself. End quote. We've mentioned many times over the years that so-called smart TVs, which unfortunately are pretty much any flat-screen TV that we can buy these days, are called smart for a reason. Those devices, which we buy and own, behave in ways that we may not want things that we bring into our homes to behave. Basically, they monitor what we watch, what channels we scan, what news programs we choose, and they even can and sometimes do monitor the things we say when we're around them. After all, one of the big selling points of smart TVs is their ability to respond to voice commands so that not only do we not have to get off the sofa to change a channel, we don't even have to press a button on the remote. In order to obey our commands, of course, the TVs have to be listening in to hear our commands and to interpret them which of course means they also hear everything else going on around them. Now we have some actual numbers that help us to understand how smart TV makers are cashing in on the information that the TVs gather. The manufacturers sell that information to a variety of outfits that are interested in knowing as much as they can about us. The polite term for this kind of sales is monetizing information on consumers' viewing habits and tastes, and all that those things can reveal about a household and the individuals within it. Vizio, for example, one of the biggest sellers of smart TVs, generated about $48.2 million from hardware sales in one recent quarter. Note, that's not in a year, but in a quarter. In the same quarter, Vizio generated $38.4 million from sales of data about the people watching the smart TVs, TVs that they bought and paid for. It's interesting to note that the rate of data sales growth is far outpacing the growth of hardware sales, by a lot. And, by the way, the security on smart TVs is, well, less than desirable. 
oh, what the heck, let's be clear here, it sucks. Bottom line, our smart TVs and lots of the devices attached to them, such as Roku's or Fire Sticks or what have you, are keeping pretty good track of whether we watch Fox News or MSNBC, whether we watch sports and what teams we seem attached to, whether we prefer dark mystery thrillers or sunny sitcoms. You get the picture, and so do advertising and even political party profilers. Is there anything we can do about this in our living room surveillance? Unfortunately, not as much as we might like and still reap the benefits from the smart TV's useful capabilities. But there are steps we can take to limit the surveillance, and we'll take a look at some of those right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage. <music>